I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday evening, Thriving Matters Studio and my fantastic guest tonight, you are going to just enjoy a ripping conversation. We have Summer Howarth in the middle and we have Andrea Downey on the end there. And you know what, folks? We're going to get some great news in a couple of days because there's going to be a new babe born, a new student for all the teachers around Australia and all the educators um, because Andrea is due to have a baby in about a week's time. So how precious is that? <laughs> Hello, girls. How are you both? Good, thanks. I just need to turn turn my, my, my music off. Well, Thriving Matters Studio is all about how we thrive in life and work and particularly within education. And out of COVID this year, we've had some most amazing times. We've had an abrupt change to our regular way of life, our regular way of, of teaching and educating. And so we're all about talking Um, how we have been able to adapt, be flexible, and what it is that we've been noticing about our education, what it is we've been noticing about student learning that we want to keep, and some of the things that it's it's time to say bye-bye to. So that's what tonight's all about. So I make no, no mistake here, I've got two of Australia's finest creative thinkers, creative learning designers, and they have a wealth of experience and knowledge and application between them. So how am I doing? All right, girls? Oh. <laughs> All right. Very fun. So as I do, I try to do some justice to your bios. So let's let's capture some of what summer you've been up to in the last few years. Um, you're an instrumental leader. You've contributed to the OECD work on student engagement and Australia's Teach Meet movement. Very successful. You're deeply and unashamedly passionate about your business to connect with people, and those are the people that really want to pursue improving life and learning outcomes for all. Uh, I love it. I love it because it's all about continual learning, and it's also about my grandchildren's education. So well done, you. Yeah, love it. (laughs) Well, you've worked in all sectors, um, you've been on the educator hot list three times. That's a hat trick. That's, that's pretty good. A number of boards, you advise the Global Educator Task Force at the UN on Sustainable Development Goals and the 100 Global Innovations Panel. You have a Paul Harris Scholarship for your services to education. Um, you're a sought-after advisor, strategist and facilitator. Not only are you creative, but you are a beautiful person as well, and your well-being um, um, is very important to you and those that you work with. So you're very welcome tonight. So, oh, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, Andrea, wow, 
um, both of you together, I know, have your own businesses, um, but you also work together, which is even even better because I think that's the way of the future, these, these partnerships that we're forming. So you um, are the founder, co-founder of Project Thrive Australia. You are really a learning and wellbeing designer. You've worked in over 200 Australian and international schools and organisations. Uh, you are really love your education redesign. You, you work with systems leadership across all the systems here in Australia um, and you are a proven change manager. You have uh, a background, you've been in leadership positions all the way through primary, secondary and TAFE education. You've been a deputy principal and now, apart from being a new mum again, um, in, a, in about a week, you've had a long association with School of Education at the University of Melbourne. You have a number of, of sought-after degrees. You have psychology interests, psychology major in your, in your portfolio, and um, you have Redesigning Education Certificate from Harvard University. So, as I say to most of my education guests, I'm already exhausted. Um, <laughs> After reading that, it's a be beautiful way forward. And when you look back on what you've done, I bet you think those years have flown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so look, to look, tonight we're all talking about um, strengthening professionalism uh, with female collaboration. And it's about well-being, uh, specifically well-being on purpose. So during our uh, last few months of, of change here, I'm just going to ask you about some of your observations about what you've been noticing about collaboration, about wellbeing, and how you've all been working together. So, who'd like to kick us off? Well, I might, I might kick off, Andrea. I, uh, there's a bit of um, feedback around, so I don't know if we want to mute in between or anything like that. But, um, you know, I'm going to start with the collaboration piece. It's been a joy to. Um, really be looking at how um, individuals can start to come together. And I think it's almost been the case of anyone that says, hey, I've got the answer, I know all about remote learning or I know all about COVID strategies, like very quickly, no one did. That's snake oil <laughs> and that's not right. Yeah. You know, we, no one had the answers. So actually coming together to sort of say, all right, we've got to look at this from a range of angles and how might we, you know, have that from a well-being lens, an operations lens, a leadership lens, a design lens, curriculum, whatever it was. Um, no one person could do that. So it was almost a bit of that forced collaboration. But I think from our perspective, like Andrea and I always love um, hanging out and, you know, we have our different businesses, but we have very similar values. We have very similar ways um, and processes, very different sort of skill sets and angles to come in from. So, in terms of the observations, it was exhausting to be to be honest. Like I think yeah. I loved that quote of like, we're not working from home, we're at home in a crisis trying to work. Mm, and so yeah. to recognise like the exhaustion that comes from that, the stress that comes from that, um, you know, the anxiety, the all of the feels, to be able to have a friend like Andrea and, and others to say, Let's like keep business going. Let's keep the purpose strong. And, um, you know, are we able to just kind of get across what each other is doing? Like collaboration wasn't a nice thing. It was necessary. And in my case, you know, I think it was a complete lifesaver for me professionally and personally as well. But, you know, Andrea, you're so in that well-being space 
as well. And you know, you've really got that well-being science there. And I know that you noticed um, a lot of things. We work together, you know, through most of lockdown too, almost every day together too. What did you see? Yeah, it's amazing the change too, um, Sam, which you would have seen from, say, lockdown one to lockdown two and um, particularly leaders' responses to that. I think people started to realise that, you know, they can be so much more adaptable than what perhaps they first thought and adaptability was something that came through um, significantly in, in my observations that people started doing things or were put in situations that they thought perhaps in education they might not have ever been had to do before. Um, yeah. So that was really good. And some other observations of there, there was an element of like they're not alone in it. So some were so right in saying that people stopped kind of what I saw such where normally you'd have your wellbeing leader and then you'd have your curriculum leader and so on. And it became more united that it was people had to group together to go, okay, we're in this together and there became more naturally out of that systems thinking where we had to acknowledge everything's interconnected mm -hmm. and if we're going to get through all this, we're going to design this really well and come out the other end with strong learning practices, then we really had to focus on that. So, yeah, that element of adaptability was good. I also noticed because um, we would do check-ins a lot of how people were feeling and particularly leaders, it was really interesting from the first lockdown there was a lot of really high anxiety, a lot of, you know, um, stress, hired, like they were some of the keywords coming through when we'd put them in, you know, a nice wordle. Yeah. And then, um, but hope, funnily enough, was as strong as anxious. Mm. So there was heaps of hope. There was heaps of optimism. There was heaps of, yeah, I'm really stressed, but we can keep going and we can get through this. And it's through all those methods that Summer said of, um, you know, I think Summer is the best person out of anyone of collaborating and bringing in the right people and she's phenomenal at that. And when we do that really well, it helps our adaptability levels and we realise that we can actually do this together. And that was a really great thing that came out of it for sure. Mm. That, um, that I was just thinking that collaboration would have um, engendered some autonomy for decision-making at local level. Mm. And it would have been that, look, um, you don't have to do, do everything the same way that we've always done. We actually have to, we actually have to change it. So that's empowering in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And what is it that you know, the most dangerous phrase in the common language is we've always done it this way. So it forces people to think differently. Like I would say in both summer and my work over years, we've been really trying to get people to do that, to think differently, to take risks, to understand that growth requires doing the hard stuff. Um, and COVID almost, you know, accelerated that. It almost brought that on for people to be like, okay, we have to now actually mm. thinking a little bit differently yeah it's so true and even thinking differently um Carrie about well-being like I guess there was a fair bit of there was awesome stuff don't get me wrong but I I would be confident to say there was a fair bit of lip service probably given to it and then when um you you know you've got this this skill and this wisdom that Andrew was able to bring in in so many of the different people we work with with like a well-being science like really let's buckle down and let's really know this from like you know quite a clinical perspective and not something that was sort of let's make people feel good because we, we had to go so far beyond that um, and so I think people really deepened that sense of bringing hope into it not just you know having like a, a, a you know a bubble bath and some chocolates like it was actually around purposeful work that autonomy as you said and so to know that we were leading together with the information and that's how a lot of people we saw 
found yeah. their way through. Yeah, that's so spot on. Like in all the works that Summers contributed to like that incredible work with the OECD where, you know, they talk about the evolution of education. Education, if you like, to date has been quite hedonic focus, which when I say that I mean it's that feel good, um, you know, self-fulfillment. But we're starting to see this beautiful shift that needs to take place towards more of a, a eudaimonic lens which is more about meaning purpose authenticity personal growth and that's where the gold is and that's what really excites us i think that um if anything people are starting to value that more and see how fundamental it is in education you um what i was thinking about then as you were talking i'm thinking i like the term well-being science not just well-being because you're right it can be oh yes we talk well-being and everybody understands but the science is fascinating and once once we get to know how we actually operate as a human as a, as a person with our emotional um, responses how that affects our decision making how it affects our learning ability I mean that's uh, that's that's really quite exciting do you have a definition you use around well-being science Andrea would you like to share that with us yeah yeah I, I guess sorry I'm echoing I th- when we look at well-being as a whole, like, you know, often, well, to date, it's not like it's a new term. It's something we've heard quite a fair bit, but it can be something that's seen as quite fluffy as well. So when we talk mm-hmm. about you know, the physical, the social, the spiritual, all the sides of well-being that we would consider, well-being science, I think, puts a bit of the evidence base and the research underpinning mm-hmm. it. But also I think, um, and I know certainly in founding Project Thrive, one of the biggest problems was, People see well-being and welfare as the same thing. They see them as interchangeable. And a lot of well-being leaders tend to work in that reactive space, which is actually more welfare. They don't get time to focus on building communities and systems of well-being. Um, And I think that's one of our challenges that we acknowledge the science, which is not just about social emotional learning. That's such an important piece, but well-being is so much more than that if we're going to truly cultivate it. So it's about understanding the ecosystem it's about environmental design um you know well-being should be completely infused through our pedagogical practices through our curriculum design through the works if we're going to get it right and i think that's why um you know particularly in australia we spend so much money a year on mental health last year it was about nine billion dollars across the year which was a million dollars an hour and all these amazing programs with great intentions but despite that we continue to see our well-being crisis escalate so um, the wellbeing science, component, I think, just brings it out more than just looking at that social emotional learning and encompasses all the areas. So we, we talk about, um, you know, summer and often more of a systems approach to wellbeing where it encompasses everything that needs to actually make it more evidence based and have a real impact on the school and education. Would there be um, a, a really good example if people were interested in, in finding out a little bit more about yeah. The, the breadth of wellbeing science and how we would apply that um, because that's a huge budget item. It's yeah. massive. And we're now looking at repercussions of this year and um, and it's only, I think it's only going to, it could very well quadruple. It could, uh, and, and we won't, we won't uh, perhaps see um, the extent of it for, for a little while, but it's going to start rolling and get bigger and bigger. So some ex- an example that would be worth looking at, I'd be curious to, to, to really dip into that as well. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so do you mean... Yeah. Well, 
lots of the schools we're working with at the moment are about really trying to create that systems-informed positive psychology approach, which is what we call it. So there's many examples and some will be able to give some great ones as well. But um, some of the work that, you know, we do particularly across the Geelong and Melbourne um, deputy and, and principal networks is about trying to shift the paradigm of education, if you like, towards co-creating these ecosystems. Um, so there's many schools I can name. If we're talking about a global eudaimonic approach school, I would um, definitely say, and absolutely not perfect, but look into the green schools. I think that they're doing this really well where it's not just about sell. Um, there's another example of a school uh, down here in Torquay, Lazure, that I would use. It was a bit easier because we could design that one from scratch where the environment, every component of the school has been considered, you know, well-being is infused, being infused through the curriculum. And it's not something that we cultivate and we do, you know, like summer's incredible ongoing work with Camberwell Girls Grammar and so on. It's not like we infuse it and then we say, tick, that's done that they're an ecosystem of well-being. It's a, it's a continuous journey. So I would say mm. to get this right, you're focusing on it for, I would say it's a good five, 10 years to really make that paradigm shift. Um, and some of these schools, you know, I'm four or five years in, some are same would be the same of working with them. And we're starting to see the real fruits of the labour now. Like you're starting to see like, wow, you walk in and you feel it. It's evident. They've gone so far beyond just teaching wellbeing to the students. So, um, yeah, we can certainly give you a list, Kerry, that you can provide of, of schools that we think are definitely on the right track with this. Mm. Oh. And if there's one as well that I would love to give is um, uh, Education Northern Territory. They're, they're the only system um, that we know of that has started with um, an educator wellbeing strategy. And so um, they, they really look at it from an individual, a collective and a department level. And they know that it starts with like flourishing teachers, flourishing support staff and a flourishing principal. Um, that's absolutely going to be then growing, you know, student wellbeing, principal wellbeing, parent, emotional, social, mental. So they've they've got a really strong strategy that um, Andrea has really helped them to animate, particularly for teachers that are new to the territory. Um, and wow. so yeah, it's it's a really good one to look up um, if you just look at sort of teaching the territory. Um, there's all sorts of information about their awesome wellbeing strategy. Well, look, they, they are fantastic examples and I know we've got listeners who are very curious about it and part of the aim is really to, to talk about these things so we raise some awareness that there is there's really great things going on. So how do we, you know, how do we uh, make that possible for, for people to know about? I'm interested in the young teachers. Um, I did, did a fair bit of work when we called them the new schemers um, mm. in New South Wales, but... Um, yeah, the new teachers, I, I think uh, what an exciting time to be in education, depending on your mindset. Yeah. And I think COVID's given us um, a bit of a jolt to that mindset. So we can either go with what we can't control or what we can control um, and where we can go in the future. So I'd love to know a little bit about those those beginning teachers because they do need um, they do need a fair bit of support, but they also need really good mentors and a good ecosystem or a, a culture, which is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> to be able to, um, you know, understand their sort of professionalism and their own, you know, often, um, and, you know, we're not saying that every new teacher is brand new into the world of work, but, you know, there, there's a great majority 
that are first career um, yeah. professionals, yeah. Um, you know, they're still navigating what it's like to have a professional identity and to have a job and then, you know, COVID comes along, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we tend to really be looking at their their well-being first and invite them to be a little bit selfish. Um, you know, that whole analogy yeah. of you've got to fix your oxygen mask before supporting others is a really important one. Um, Victoria today just launched um, or just announced an initiative for um, around 4,000 tutors that will be um kind of distributed across schools across Victoria in early 2019 and they actually put out a um, very strong invitation for beginning teachers and pre-service teachers um, to, you know, go into those paid positions from the government um, to go in and support, you know, some some literacy and numeracy coaching um, for students that may have missed out on that. And so, you know, I think that that's going to be a really interesting piece as well. Mm -hmm. They're going to get some mentorship through being part of a school or being part yeah. of the profession there. But, you know, I think Twitter's got its benefits, you know, or definitely used to have its benefits of, of mentorship. Um, but, you know, like, <laughs> it's a really interesting um, space and it is one that you really want to have a really good first day like and you really need yeah. to do orientation by design so again that's some stuff that Andrew and I work um pretty closely with the Northern Territory again with and there's some stuff that's emerging um in Victoria around mentorship and some stuff that I worked in in New South Wales I mean a mentor by far all the research will say you'll stay yeah. you'll be better um you know in your practice yeah. not knowing yourself so it's so important so important yeah. what do you think Andrea? Yeah, and I feel for those teachers that have started this year. Um, <laughs> I just think like just would be really difficult because that mentor is so fundamental in that collaboration. And you you genuinely hope that they've been in schools that have been able to support them, even though that you know, especially the ones in lockdown still um, yeah. in in Melbourne. I imagine that would be really really tricky. Um, and then not just new teachers, but also ones that have moved to a new school or a new Date and I was speaking to one teacher who actually started the first day of the first lockdown oh. at the totally <laughs> So I think that would be really tricky. Um, but I guess there's some synergy too with our system as a whole now. Like the system has been seen and described as being quite rigid, you know, the education system. And um, hopefully, you know, where we, as I said, we're certainly, Summer and I, seeing really adaptable teachers who are doing things that they just never imagined that they would do. And although, yes, it's been really, really hard, um, you know, they're really proud now and, and they are thriving and they've changed things up a lot. And I hope that that then leads back to the system that, you know, we need to make it a bit more adaptable and get rid of some of that rigidity, but certainly feeling for those yeah. that have started oh. this year. Can't imagine, like, send send them wine, send them margaritas. Oh, but it's so true, isn't it? Um, a recent paper put out by IDEO um, is talking about um, uh, future, future of education, and they're using scenarios um, for their discussion. And one of the scenarios is uh, what if, what if parents now decide we did such a great job whilst we were in lockdown that we're not sending our kids back to the school in the suburb that we've chosen, right? Uh, we're going to do it from home. Um, and we actually want teachers to be coaches and mentors 
there. Um, it's all possible, isn't it, yeah. that there, there's going to be some major changes to this because if um, if the, vi the virus doesn't... Uh, is, is not eradicated. All the indications are that it, it's continuing to mutate. There's four strains, I believe. I've been told, told today, four, four strains. Yep, yep. Um, in various countries, there's different different countries. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, talking to relatives in Italy last night, they're, they're ready for another lockdown. London's the same. Um, so it, it, it's possible that this is not going to stop. So how do we, how do, we do this? Yeah, how do we do this? So we're looking after people's well-being. Yeah. We're also looking after the economics of all this because yeah. we've got massive workforces in our front line, our, you know, our workforce, our front line force, yeah. um, policing, health and, and education. Yeah. So and all the, the, um, all the effect that has on families and, and whatever. So I wonder if you've got any thoughts on how how we might look you know i've got a picture of the jetsons in my head you know in their little zooming around in their in their bubbles and uh we, you know we're all we're all teaching very differently but it's it's possible but there's plenty of platforms already where people are learning um apart from a school if they can't get to a school hmm. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, you and I have always been kind of looking at that that what if and what if and you know looking at different structures there are things in in my mind what has become apparent um you know i think we know the levers that need to be pulled at that sort of system level so you know the biggest example i can give you that if there were to be more of um, a trend towards a, a flexible learn force you know workforce and learn force so you know student body yep. and your body um you know quite simply the, the funding regulations for schools would have to change because right now, you know, schools have been open through COVID. They've had to be in order to maintain, you know, funding. Funding, yeah. In the case of we can say, well, year nine's learning from home today because that's not how it works. Mm. So that's an interesting lever to, um, you know, to pull. And I think you're very right. Like, I spoke to a friend who's a principal this afternoon who, of course, she's across all operations she knows all of her staff she knows all of her team yeah. she's a learner she's passionate and she said i'm going to say straight up like i underestimated how difficult it is to have everybody on site it is like a giant jigsaw puzzle mm. it's like all these pieces from different jigsaws and you've somehow got to make a picture um mm. i think you're very right there's got to be things that do need to change the role of the teacher in terms of how they work um, will change yep. one thing that you touched on, Andrew. I know you'll agree. Like having teaching kind of super public to parents has been this like wow moment of like yes, we told you. <laughs> it's a really creative yeah. you know, gut field game, and I think they they really saw that teachers are you know professional um, people that that bring so much skill to a role. Um, not that I, I guess that was ever in question, but when it's in your face. Yeah. Um, you can definitely see it. So who knows? There's There's got to be a lot at yeah. that operational systemic level that has to change in order for schools to do what they want to do and what they're trying to embark on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, um, everything Summer said just then, and I think we'll get it right if we do acknowledge, you know, all those elements where it's not, it's about wellbeing, it's about the economy, it's about society, it's about the importance of nature. I guess that's my concern from a wellbeing um, component that, yes, 
gosh, technology has highlighted some amazing things in this time. And we can, you know, yeah. collaborate incredibly well. There's some brilliant tools that we can use. We can come together and it can be just as powerful and relatedness. Um, I don't think it will ever completely replace, though, that face-to-face -face, and nor do we ever want it to do that. Um, I think we need to acknowledge just how important that element of society and being together still is, but then take the good from what we've learned. And as Summer said, the flexibility. Like we don't need to do what we've always done in terms of, you know, this, then, and everyone mm -hmm. in the space, but look at how can we make, come up with ways that work for everyone um, where it's just that little bit more flexible perhaps than what we've had in that rigid system before. Oh, the challenges are there, aren't they? And uh, it's it's really a very exciting time. And the more um, educators I speak to, a lot of them are very uh, they're very curious and they're they're quietly um, sort of really energized by we 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 can make a difference here. We can we can actually make some changes. And uh, if we can get rid of some of the accountability that was taking up teaching time and that collaborative planning and design. Um, that that would be a big issue, I think. Um, yeah. You know, I think, Kerry, like the fact that IDEO released that paper probably through the Teachers Guild is, you know, really saying that that this is a design challenge and education yeah. Yeah. was thrown its biggest design challenge or schools actually were thrown their biggest design challenge in a generation, if not ever, and they met it in like a week flat. Yeah. Um, it's like it's it's remarkable when we stand back and say teachers are designers and yeah. we knew that but now like they're system designers they're structural yeah. designers they're organization designers yeah like my favorite people play so true Tom isn't it like I think for the first time there were so many people at that higher you know administration level or whatever that were kind of like well, we don't know what to do and the beauty of that was that it's through all of the power in the educators' hands and with great facilitators like Summer who believe in co-creation, who believe in co-construction. Like one of the things we always say is that, you know, change is not the problem in education. It's the rate, the nature and the speed of change. Often those on the receiving end have had very little to do with initiating it and that's what needs to change. Whereas in this, all the power went to the educators and the leaders and they co-constructed, they co-created, they came together and said, Right, how are we going to move forward with it, with this? And that's what's made it so sustainable and so powerful because it, it was their plan, it was their expertise. One yeah. of the things Summer always does when we're working with groups, which I love, is, you know, gets them to put in, right, how many years have you been in education? How long have you worked in education? To highlight that there's so much expertise that sits within yeah. one school or one group, but often they just need someone to bring that out or allow them the space, the platform, the time to be able to kind of infiltrate their ideas. And I think that's where we're going to make the most change and design the pathway forward most effectively. Well, it's true collaboration, isn't it? And and then, then it's respectful ownership of it as well. And in all this, we're all human. This is the, all, all stakeholders are human. We're, we've all got feelings where, what do we say, perfectly imperfect um, <laughs> often, but we have incredible talent and creativeness if given the chance to do it. So I think that's what's so so empowering about it all. I'm just going to ask you both, um, what's the change been for the type of professional learning? Is there one or two things that you could say are really different now in the way you work with the teachers and your leaders at schools um, 
and whether it's your system leaders, whatever it is, is there, has there been a, a change to how you go about working? With it? So it's it's basically your learning design for, for bringing out the best. Yeah, well, besides the <laughs> not being, you know, face-to-face -face with them has certainly made us, from a, a technical point of view, do things quite differently. Um, I would say... I mean, you know, the buy-in, we, we get so fortunate to work with so many ed amazing educators who are really passionate about the work that we both do, who are really on board. But, um, you know, I would say now the passion has increased significantly to the point where what I've seen is people genuinely aren't, like, looking at their roles in silo anymore. Like, we are using a lot more systems thinking. We're acknowledging that everything is interconnected and being more deliberate and intentional about what is actually being brought in and what's being done and what's changing so that we fully understand that if we don't understand the interconnectedness, sometimes our solutions can cause more problems. So I think people are avoiding that more so if you like now. Um, you know, Summer and I have been talking about that VUCA world that we exist in now before COVID hit. So it was, you know, we've been talking about that volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. Um, for a while now, but I think people now are starting to see more than ever, certainly that system sinking piece that we need to, yeah. you know, just come together more strongly. And that's probably what more buy-in of, you know, often if I get engaged initially, it might be around just wellbeing. Um, and if some is getting engaged, it might be around the whole learning design facet, but people are starting to see now that, you know, we have to look at all this together, not wellbeing in isolation, yeah. not curriculum in isolation. It's a package. If we don't get it right all together, we're not going to get it right at all. Mm, mm. And that's what's coming out clear. Yeah, Summer, any thoughts on what um, what the design is like at the moment uh, for 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 the the type of work that you're doing? What have you What have you let go of? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one actually. One of our mantras is like, "What are you going to bin? What are you going to bring? And what are you going to begin?" And uh, you know, that's yeah. Uh, Andrew is right. Like technically, I think our ways of engaging have been um, quite different. So, you know, an example, uh, there's some stuff that I've been doing with New South Wales Education and we actually went into a studio on um, Wednesday. Their facilitator in Sydney was in a studio. We were kind of talking at, at each other via, you know, a monitor that was green screen. Like you've actually got to become, as a facilitator, um, far more creative in how you're actually going to engage a process. What I have found is like, I don't know if you found this, Andrew, but it feels like, you know, content isn't really the professional learning that's desired at the moment. You know, folks aren't wanting to get into big like, you know, curriculum mm -hmm. debates. It's around process. Mm -hmm. It's around like ways of looking at things. It's around kind of, you know, the facts and the science and the stories. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a lot of story mm -hmm. gathering and storytelling. We've been doing a lot of, um, harvesting of, of different, um, you know, things that have been seen across. So, you know, an example with Camberwell Girls, um, I'll never forget the moment where it was the last staff meeting ever um, that we had, you know, the, uh, 70 people in a room or something, and the, their divine principal, Debbie Dunwoody, said, if, if we are producing something that is going to help another school, a, another teacher, a parent, a system leader, whatever, 
you have my full permission to just give it to them. If it's an email and and you think the copy is good, uh, whatever it is. And so, you know, Kate Manners, who um, does, she's the director of teaching and learning there. Like she kind of went into this mode of, all right, if we've got kind of rules of play, let's put it in an infographic. Let's tweet it all out. If we've got units of work, like let's just get it out. And so they really led the way, I think, in that, particularly that first lockdown of that invitation to, share and that comes with great vulnerability like huge vulnerability to say we don't know that this works because this is like five days old um but we're giving it a crack and it might help someone and then it just iterates from there so again that kind of collaboration through being the first to go let's just if it's going to help let's have a system mindset let's not keep things siloed and let's go for it and so andrea and i secretly cheering we've always had that systems thinking if it works for this kid are we willing to give it away so that another educator might go, that works plus this, and that's how we'll build, you know, change, teacher-led innovation? Yeah. But you just gave me some goosebumps because I'm I'm really big on be generous, be oh, generous. Yeah. Really, an idea really doesn't only belong to us. It's We've got parts of it that germinated with somebody else or yeah. came down, but that is, you just gave me goosebumps because the temptation is that we want to keep it for us. We, the, you know, com- competition comes out in us, and we we want to keep it tight and siloed. But we're only going to benefit from the collective, the collective intelligence. And Absolutely. we're crying out loud. We there's no more time in a day. We are all entitled to mm-hmm. a well-being life of work and life. Right. So that's the way I look. And I, I'm so pleased you just gave that as a great example because it's so humble. It's humbling. Yeah. It's yeah. it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable, but it's also generous. So brave. It's, um, it's authentic. You know, Andrew, yeah. there's enough sun for everyone, right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's because oh if I'm, sun, I'm like, oh, I'm stealing it from someone else. There's ideas come and go. Hold your impact tightly and hold the ideas or the process lightly to get to that. You know, give it away. Oh, look, what I'd like to do in our last few minutes is ask you both about your your, um, your businesses and what you've put. So I'd love to give you the chance to tell everybody about your, you know, Project Thrive and about the Eventful Co. So I'd love you to do that. So and then people will get an idea if they want to contact you, they'll know where to contact you through. Um, so let's let's hear about it. Oh, Andrea, tell everyone all about Project Thrive. It is like... <laughs> So amazing. Andrea is one of these amazing people that when you hear about her business, you just sit there going, oh, my goodness. Like, I could not be happier that you're doing this work. I love Project Thrive. Andrea, please, Project Thrive. Nice. Now I'm scared I'm not going to do it justice. (laughs) Uh, Well, I am very lucky to work with um, Summer uh, a fair bit, which is really, really great. And as I said before, she's one of the most phenomenal collaborators in this space, and um, that, that's always brilliant. So Project Thrive I co-founded about four years ago. Um, and I was thinking, Harry, you know, when we're having those pre-thinking questions, uh, the reasons why, and a lot of it was around probably my experiences in being a wellbeing leader in a school and, you know, what I said earlier, feeling like you're always reacting yeah. you know, there's events are urgent ones so as a well-being leader you tend to attending to a lot of welfare I guess if you like um, and reactive events so I co-founded Project Thrive really to help schools be able to build these ecosystems of well-being um, to use the amazing science that's coming through 
uh, and look really intentionally about co-creating strategic pathways forward in how we can create a paradigm shift where education is actually more about enabling and activating well-being as well as achievement and in a genuine and authentic way. Um, so there's three areas that you know we really focus on, one being the well-being science, um, the second part being all on systems leadership, which is about you know that acknowledging the interconnectedness element. Um, I do get really sad when I see well-being leaders put in isolation of everything else or well-being being focused on as a subject, if you like, or, um, you know, if you say to schools, what are you doing in the space of well-being? And they'll say, we do social-emotional learning. So it was really to, to give staff, um, empower staff, really, to have a stronger understanding and parents and students around what is well-being science and how can we use it to infiltrate education in the best way possible. Um, and then the third area, of course, on that education redesign, if you like, because I do feel really passionately about shifting to this eudaimonic meaning, purpose, authenticity approach away from that feel-good stuff that we tend to, you know, that some are alerted to before that, more that self-care feel-good that we tend to focus on in well-being. And if we're going to get that right, we're going to truly make this shift, then that would be um, a, a, one of the best pathways forward. So I've been fortunate enough to work with um, yeah, many a lot of leaders as well, um, which yeah. I believe wholeheartedly in a bottom-up approach that if you do the work really well on the ground with all stakeholders, it will start to, to really, you know, come through. But um, working with leaders is phenomenal as well because I have absolutely learned if you get them on board, if you get them believing, they will be the systems leaders that will empower their staff and their yeah. community to do all this great work and allow it or enable it to come alive. So um, I get a lot of joy of working with them. Um, on you know, overseas immersions and ongoing partnerships and so on. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a project. Mm, nice, nice. So I'm sure you're going to get a few hits on the website and so that's the best place to go, Project Thrive? Yeah, yeah. So we've got um, yep. a, a website there. Yep, definitely. Fantastic. And one of the best facilitators as well, like, um, a big room, a small room, um, you know, Andrea came in um, to work with a cross-section of, of teaching and um, professional support staff at a school that I'm working with. And they said, like one of them said, I've been here for like 20 years and that was like the best start of the year that we've yeah. had. So, yeah, it was awesome. Great testimony. Well, Great testimony. Summer is the hard act to follow them. <laughs> Now, now the eventful code, please, Summer. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us all about it. Yeah, eventful yeah. learning was was um, born almost um, two, not like you're about to <laughs> almost two years ago. Um, and we designed great learning, um, and it's really really fun. So we designed great learning strategy. So that's a little bit of that education redesign or walking alongside. Um, education organisations or others that are supporting, um, you know, schools and learning, such as Department okay. of Premier and Cabinet, Zoos Victoria, Royal Botanic Gardens, um, Domestic Violence Resource Centre. So we kind of are looking at sort of learning strategy in organisations. Um, the second thing that we do is obviously events and experiences. Not so much in 2020, although there's been some really creative kind of ways that we've done that, you know, going and doing live broadcast in a studio, doing a lot of stuff over Zoom, uh, utilising, you know, um, a lot of those sort of web technologies. So we we ran the largest gathering of students um, through the Prince's Trust Australia at um, there was around 1,800 young people trying on a career for size. That was really fun. 
yeah. and a lot, um, which is really great. So we do events as the second part. And the third part is content. So we designed some really great content. Um, probably one that we're working on at the moment um, is the Koala Smart curriculum with Department of, of um, Planning in New South Wales, which is really fun. And the way that we do that is like seriously by collaborating with different um, people. So it's all about like, if there's a really, you know, clever content writer or, you know, I did put a call out for some content. Um, I was really after some really clever teachers that may have been on maternity leave and, you know, really wanted to kind of keep that that design and development. Yeah. So it's always looking for, um, you know, really clever people and, and showcasing what that might look like for them to have like their own stamp on it. So Eventful doesn't employ people. Um, Eventful kind of gathers and collaborates and, you know, contracts. And the reason for that is, you know, I just think that freedom is a really big sort of value of mine and that mm -hmm. allows others the freedom and the flex and, you know, their self-management to be able to manage their own life and their own well-being. But, yeah, we've, we've oh. done some really cool stuff. So um, it's it's been a really fun ride. Um, so, yeah, we design great learning content, events and strategy in a nutshell. So what you've just given both of you, what you've just given us are some great examples of action already in place around wellbeing science and around learning design, how to influence and advocate for, for what you're passionate about, for your continual learning and ways that we could um, even further develop if we, we don't remain um, in the same style of delivery of education. So you probably, you've given us a happy trifecta tonight. I think it's been beautiful. <laughs> now, Andrea, I'm very aware that you're probably cramping up by now, sitting there for so long. <laughs> I have memories. I have memories. So I'm very... I, I've been having for the past six months on at all different yeah. events we've been doing, Andrews. <laughs> bouncing ball, yeah. Go get you the big bouncy ball. Oh, look, I'm just so grateful for you both tonight. It's been absolutely delightful to have you both on. I am I'm an advocate. I have not I have some we we bumped into each other a few years ago, so I know that, but just um from the way you come across the passion, the the way you're able to express and articulate what it is that you are so certain about and enjoy creating, I think education for my my grandchildren is in very, very good hands. So I want to thank you both. Oh, thank, thank you both you. for tonight. Amplifying voices, um, you know, of people who really wanted to ensure that, yeah. like, you know, every young person needs to be successful in their education. And Andrew and I truly believe that, like, school is the best place anyone can spend their day. And so we're really lucky to be able to go into schools um, and do that as well. So we love teachers. We're like, we love teachers so much. <laughs> I, and I just want to make sure that we amplify that message. Um, thank you, Summer, Andrew and Carrie. Really inspirational work and information. Grateful to have listened to this podcast. Thank you, Maurizio. We uh, we have a few people who lurk and they don't, some of them come into the chat and some don't, but I know there'll be some more comments there. So I'm very appreciative of, of that. So thanks, Maurizio. Um, always keen to get your feedback. So we're going to finish off with your favourite song tonight. So dreams of a really fantastic last week and um, an enjoyable birth, Andrea, and to, to welcome your your new um, your new babe into the world. And uh, Summer, 
I'm sure you will have the jug of margaritas ready for Andrea when you can get to see her. Oh my goodness, she doesn't even know. <laughs> so thanks everybody for your time tonight. Love having your company. Take See you next Tuesday. Bye for now. Love it.